Hello, this is Jeremiah, host and producer of the Stereoactive Movie Club podcast, with a quick note before the show begins. This episode was actually recorded way back in October of 2021. Mia and I had a baby in the fall, and due to that, some health concerns leading up to the birth, and now actually being parents of a lovely little one, we had to unceremoniously put the podcast on hold for a while. We hope you'll bear with us as we work toward getting back on track with the show in the coming weeks and months, though. Now... Here's the episode. Come on with the rain, I've a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain. Just singing, singing in the rain. Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, and Steven. Unfortunately, Mia isn't able to join us for this episode. But we are going to be talking about the 1952 film Singing in the Rain, directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donen. Before we go on, though, let's hear from everyone about what movies they've watched since the last time we recorded. Laura? I was revisiting Daniel Craig as James Bond. So I watched Casino Royale, which I thought was great. Uh, except for he, and it's the same exact problem I had when I first watched it. Eva Green's diction is really hard to understand. Mm. Um, she's a French actress, and I think it was one of her early American films. And unless you're watching subtitles, she just steps on everything she says. Uh, she's beautiful, and the movie is very successful. In an, in and of itself. But then I started watching Quantum of Solace and mm. the, you know, next one, I forgot the name. Skyfall was next, I Skyfall, think. Skyfall, and then it was Spectre. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, they suck. And uh. <laughs> <laughs> they are very convoluted. And I, I do think Daniel Craig does a very good job as Bond. Um, but... They just miss. I think they have so much potential, but what what happened in that first movie doesn't exist in the others. Uh, this yeah. sort of wink, sort of, and I I get this where we can argue separately. <laughs> Whereas I'm a fan of Pierce Brosnan Bond movies because I think that he does wink at it, the misogyny of it all. Um. And I think it set the stage for Daniel Craig in a lot of ways, but some of them, like the writing loses it. So that's a big generalization. Mm. Now Mm. over to you guys. No, I I think Casino Royale is my favorite one. I agree with you that the others don't live up to that. I mean, I can't even go back and watch Quantum of Solace. I just remember it being a train wreck of a movie and I just have not had any desire to watch it. I I liked a lot of Skyfall, but but I don't think it reaches the potential it could have had like and i do think the end is one of several movies around that time that for some reason felt like an adult version of home alone (laughs) it's very weird um yeah but i'm still i still want to see this last daniel craig bond me too yeah yeah 
So Laura, did that um, prevent you from enjoying the movies the, just because you saw a lot of the writing was not that strong? Because sometimes just the performances can help you say like, well, that was all right, you know, given what we have. I think um, there's, uh, is it Spectre where he like has sex with Monica Bellucci, the woman his own mm. age? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who, it's you know, that or Skyfall. So I fall, I I think to me, that's a statement in and of itself where like, you just love those things, those aspects where it's like, oh, women appropriate, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there, there's, there's different things fighting each other in those movies, you know, whereas something like Quantum of Solace, you get Gemma Ardichern or however you say her last name for five minutes. Mm. And I, I mean, I think in a way it's a statement of how he doesn't care after he's been burned, but it's offensive as a woman mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like, I uh, can't find the stationery. Come help me. <laughs> and <laughs> it's literally five minutes of she hates him and then they're doing it. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I have a lot of conflicting feelings about those movies i did think <laughs> javier bardem was really good in skyfall though i like his performance in that it's a... i think that's great that you love that <laughs> wow um, he just sort of is a little too old country for like um sure sure it's very effective, country but yeah heightened uh, yeah. and uh but i mean it's a bond villain so i don't know the, the other thing i'll say and then let's let's move on to other movies uh is Casino Royale, I've I've gone back and watched that one relatively recently enough that I think that the the uh Texas Hold'em of it all seems like such a time capsule of a particular time. It's like because <laughs> Texas Hold'em was so big, and then I think that movie came in at the end of that wave, yeah. and then everyone moved on from it pretty fast. And like Sharif. and still mm. this movie is out there with that in it. Just sort of weird. <laughs> Weird That's relic. A good point. Anyway, um, so I saw a a movie Godzilla versus Hedorah from the early seventies. It's like I don't know, 10, 11 movies into the Godzilla series. They were playing it f- uh, free for members of the Austin Film Society. So I went to a screening of that a week or two ago, and um, I guess a couple weeks ago. And uh, I mean, it's not a great movie. It's like one of those kind of kitschy movies, but it, it was like a movie that <laughs> by that time, I guess Godzilla was the hero <laughs> of the movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's fighting this sludge monster that basically is a stand in for uh, environmental catastrophe. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, it makes sense. Godzilla himself is like a metaphor for the nuclear age and all that shit. So whatever. But it, it, it's a ridiculous <laughs> movie. If it's ever on, <laughs> it's worth watching, I guess, but it's not like great or anything. I, and then the other one I saw was The Mini Saints of Newark, which was mm. meh, whatever. It was okay. Like, there's nothing particularly bad about it. It's just sort of like a mediocre-ish movie, a well-made, like well-crafted movie that's just sort of middling entertainment connected to The Sopranos. <laughs> So who's in that? Who's in that, Jeremiah? Um, well, Gandolfini's son plays young mm-hmm. Tony, and he's pretty good. Like all the acting is is good, all the direction mm-hmm. is good. Um, and then um, what's his name? Uh, I forget the guy who's playing Dicky Moltisanto. 
Mm. Alessandro Nivola. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. I was yeah. And he was good too. And Ray Liotta's in it. Uh and uh that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Ray Liotta was good. I just don't want to give anything away about it. Oh. Um it's okay. worth seeing if you're into yeah. the Sopranos, because I think it's it's interesting. Um Mm-hmm. Steven, you'll probably be the only one to appreciate this joke. I, 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 I called. I was thinking of it along the lines of the X Men movies. This is mm-hmm. uh, Sopranos Origins, the TV tray. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Steven, what about you? Oh my gosh, um, I saw two movies. I saw the Parallax View. Um, which was made in 1974. And it was a thriller with Warren Beatty. And he's a, um, for those who have not seen it, and he's like a crusading reporter. Um, and that, I think it was right after Watergate was in the, within that time. So I guess leading men were more like, they weren't necessarily like cops or anything, but it was a really good movie. It was very paranoid though. I kind of was very unsettled by that whole movie and how it was kind of laid out, but it was really well acted and really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second movie, which was also like one of those recommended movies on Amazon was Three Days of the Condor which was a 1975 movie with um, Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway, which was excellent. I really, really loved it. I thought it was so good. And I, I remember that Robert Redford was such a huge star when I was a kid and you kind of forgot about it until you watched something like that. And it was just really, it was really compelling. And I liked his character. Good movies. Hmm. Alicia? I watched a couple of movies this time. Um, the first one I'll mention was this movie called Excalibur, which is basically... Um, an early 80s Irish British film that's about um you know King Arthur and Camelot and all that it's very early 80s (laughs) like it's really really like hairy and (laughs) mystical and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um but uh, it was fun you know and then the other one I watched was The Game the Mm. uh uh Michael Douglas one from the mid to late 90s i don't remember exactly what year it came out but um yeah it's always fun it's just like a fun stupid movie (laughs) (laughs) entertaining cool i Um, really love that i really love that movie for some reason i saw it in the theaters and it really stuck with me for a couple of days after that i think i just like all the stuff that's come out of it like that that's parodied it in in like i think there was an episode of stella where Hmm. they did a like the game thing and I don't know mm. it's I've, it's found its way into a lot of like comedy stuff that I really enjoy mm. and so to go mm. back and watch like the original is is just fun for me yeah, interesting yeah I, f- I feel like that movie for David Fincher is like his Pinkerton to Weezer's <laughs> Blue album because he had like seven come out and then that came out and nobody paid attention to it then the critics <laughs> started to like be like wait that movie was actually fucking amazing and then people started to like it <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big David Fincher fan, as everybody probably knows. But yeah, that was one of my favorites. So for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where usually the five of us, this time four, are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight & Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made, which comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022, so we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. And again, This time we're talking about Singing in the Rain. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? And if not, what were you expecting, if anything? And Stephen, since you picked this one, can you start us off and also explain 
why you chose it. First of all, I've never seen it before. And everybody always seemed very shocked that I'd never seen it. So I wanted to see it for those reasons. And then also because most of the movies that are on the list of movies we're seeing are not comedic. They're very <laughs> dramatic and very well done, but very intense movies. So I wanted to, you know, break it up a little bit and have something that we could all kind of sit back and enjoy and watch. And it's also a comedy. So that's that's kind of nice. And um, I've only seen parts of it as in like the big main performances, like make them laugh. I've seen like a dozen times. Um, and um, I think that's that's it. I think that's why I picked it. And that's all you needed to know, right? Sure. <laughs> I can't remember. The <laughs> Did you have like any particular expectations for it based on people telling you things about it or anything? You know, I just since it was one of those classic movies that has been just around you know, popular culture forever. I just assumed it was going to be a really amazing movie and that, you know, pretty much anybody who says, if you like musicals, you'll love this movie. And that's all I really knew about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Laura, how about you? I had seen it when I was a kid and I was dreading this episode actually, because I could sense from everyone's fervor that they loved it. And um, I was afraid that I was going to rewatch it and be Wait, don't that tell us bitch. don't tell us what you thought of it this time that's next i'm just it was afraid i'm just okay. saying my fear gotcha um leave some suspense yeah exactly and alicia how about you <laughs> um wow now i'm in so much suspense i don't even know what to say for myself um, <laughs> no i think actually I'd seen scenes of it kind of like Steven, I'd seen like the big numbers from it over the years growing up. I don't think I actually watched the movie itself until I was probably like 30 or something. It was kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, this is a movie that everyone like mm -hmm. raves about. And, you know, so I, so yeah, so I've seen it several times since then. Um, and yeah, always enjoyed it. So. And I saw it for the first time as a kid. I think it was like on... AMC back when, as we've talked about in previous episodes, they actually showed old movies. Um, and I think my mom wanted to watch it. And so I watched it and really liked it a lot. And I knew it was something she really liked. So I was interested in why she did. And, and I have like fond memories of watching it with her. Um, and then I, I've definitely seen it more over the years. I think I might've even had it on DVD at one point mm -hmm. when I still owned a lot of DVDs. Uh, but then I hadn't seen it for quite a while. And last year, last summer, um, Mia had not seen it and we decided to watch it. And she like it was it was a great experience because she had never seen it. And it's like rare that you get to watch someone watch something and realize that they're seeing one of the best things of that genre. <laughs> um, and she was just like she loved the movie. That was, seemed to be her reaction afterwards. She said that as, as much. She'd probably be saying that if she was on the episode this time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like real joy to watch it with her and, and have that experience of that I'd sort of had with my mom, I guess, of, of like, you know, coming to see this thing that I knew she really liked and she knew I really liked this too. And uh, yeah, so that was cool. And I think she thinks it's one of the better movies she's seen in her life too, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. So as I've often done on the show, I'm going to read from an entry in the 
Ultimate Encyclopedia of the Movies, which I got when I was in high school and first getting into movies. As always, the parts that may be more subjective aren't from me personally, but perhaps we can delve into those things as we get into our group discussion. An all-time favorite comic musical, arguably the best MGM ever made, and also one of the funniest films to deal with the evolution from silent movies to talkies, Singing in the Rain is directed at a dazzling pace by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donen, appropriate to the era of its story, The Roaring Twenties. The story was created by screenwriters Adolph Green and Betty Comden to showcase the best numbers from MGM musicals. The discovery that many of them came from this period in movie history gave them their framework. Kelly always maintained that every dance should tell a tale, which it certainly does in this, most demonstrably with the title song, first heard in Hollywood Review of 1929. Kelly's show-stopping version of the number, as he saunters and splashes through the puddles, with the joy of his newfound love for bouncy flapper heroine Debbie Reynolds, was described by one critic as the most enchanting dance in history, and must be one of the most often seen film clips. Other musical highlights include Donald O'Connor's spoof on the voice coaches much in demand at this time, Moses supposes, and his energetic vaudeville-style dance, Make Him Laugh, plus one of Kelly's inventive climactic ballets with Sid Charisse and her crazy 25-foot veil, a sequence which took a month to rehearse, two weeks to shoot, and cost about a fifth of the overall budget, and was money well spent. All this, plus Gene Hagen's high comedy performance as Kelly's silent screen co-star, whose squeaky voice spells curtains for her career. Again, that was an entry in the ultimate encyclopedia of the movies. Singing in the Rain was a product of MGM's so-called Freed unit, named for the person who headed it, Arthur Freed. Before this film, Freed worked on many of the best-known musicals, both historically and of their respective days. The Wizard of Oz, Babes in Arms, Meet Me in St. Louis, Ziegfeld Follies, Easter Parade, On the Town, Annie Get Your Gun, Showboat, and American in Paris. It was after working on An American in Paris, which featured music by George Gershwin and went on to win seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, while becoming one of the top 10 highest grossing films of 1951, that Freed decided to put together another musical featuring pre-existing music by a specific songwriter, namely himself, along with collaborator Nacio Herb Brown. The resulting film features tunes the duo wrote for previous MGM musicals. Screenwriters Betty Comden and Adolph Green worked on the initial draft of the screenplay with Gene Kelly and Stanley Donen jumping in to collaborate on adjustments to the story once they were done with American in Paris. Debbie Reynolds, who was not a dancer before the movie began production, had a particularly rough time making the picture, with Kelly being rough on her throughout and one extremely long day of shooting a number resulting in bloody feet. In 2003, she told the Saturday Evening Post that Singing in the Rain and Childbirth were the two hardest things I ever had to do in my life. And the famed Make Him Laugh sequence reportedly left heavy-smoking Donald O'Connor recovering in a hospital bed for several days. The film was considered only a modest hit at the time it was released, though it did receive strong reviews from many of the major critics of the day, and it did rank as the 10th highest grossing film of 1952. It was nominated for two Oscars, Best Supporting Actress, Gene Hagen, and Best Scoring of a Musical Picture, but it won neither. The Academy Award for Best Motion Picture that year went to Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth, and that film was also the highest grossing of 1952. Over the nearly 70 years since its release, Singing in the Rain has arguably become one of the best-loved movies of all time, 
especially as far as Hollywood movies go. It was among the first batch of 25 films considered, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant that the Library of Congress recognized in 1989 for its National Film Registry. And it was included in AFI's 100 Years 100 Movies list in 1998, ranked at number 10, then rose to the number 5 spot when the list was updated in 2007. AFI also listed it as the number one greatest movie musical of all time in 2006, beating out West Side Story, The Wizard of Oz, The Sound of Music, and Cabaret in that order. For our purposes, the film first ranked in the top 10 of Sight and Sound Magazine's critic survey of the best films of all time in 1982 at number three. It was then runner-up in 1992 and at number 10 in 2002. And though it didn't make the top 10 in 2012, it was included on the full list at number 20, right behind Andrei Tarkovsky's Mirror and just ahead of Michelangelo Antonioni's La Ventura, both of which we've discussed in previous episodes of this podcast. Ben Gibson, director of the London Film School, put it on his list saying, quote, Through the faked up DIY of Singing in the Rain, seemingly a mad throwing together of stuff that somehow just gels, we're allowed to feel the joy of creativity and to glimpse the very human face of genius. It's the least improvised film, providing the most thrillingly spontaneous feeling to be had in a cinema. Singing in the Rain also came in at number 67 on the 2012 director's poll, and among the directors who voted for it were Francis Ford Coppola and Mark Webb. Steven, since, again, this was your pick, can you start us off with your thoughts on the film after viewing it and whether it lived up to your expectations? Yeah, I really enjoyed the movie a lot, actually. I, it's, when, it's a rare experience when I watch something and I just smile all the way through when I'm watching it. Um, and it was just like, maybe I was in the mood to watch something that wasn't so dour after watching the other two movies <laughs> that were kind of downers, um, that I'd watched over the, two, the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I just smiled all the way through and I felt like it was just an overwhelmingly positive movie. And also like the dance numbers were just incredible to watch and very intricately, uh, produced and, and put together. Um, and even the negative things in the movie kind of had a humorous tone to them. So like, you know, it kind of went down a little easy when, you know, negative things were happening, you know, even the chat that, um, the Don had had with, uh, Kathy in the car, you know, even though it was just sort of like, was he a stalker? Was he going to do something to her? It still was kind of done in a kind of a smile and a nod to the audience. Um, and then seeing it the second time, cause I actually watched it again. Cause I, I felt like, is there any themes to this movie at all? <laughs> Other than you're just watching it and just enjoying like the performances, but you know, it is actually a little bit more subversive than I had given it credit for when I first had seen it, just because, you know, you think about the Hollywood machine and like how the perceptions are of people that when you see them and they're famous, but they're not really that way. And then, you know, there's other people in the movie that, you know, they don't necessarily respect what you do, but they don't understand what you're really going through. And, you know, the fact that he had to come up with stories that kind of fit to, you know, fit the narrative of what Hollywood was and then the, the fake relationship that he had with his leading lady. Um, it was just kind of, you know, you saw a lot of people's insecurities and, you, you know, you just saw a lot of, you know, just different things that you would expect from such a comedic, you know, fun movie. So I, you know, I really enjoyed it on a lot of different levels. You know, I, I just really mm -hmm. liked it. Great. And Laura? I smiled to the first hour, 100%. I, I was into it. I really enjoyed a lot of it. I remembered so much that I loved. But then it started to, you know, it was a little bit of a slog into it 
Gene Kelly didn't get out of his way at all. I I could pinpoint it and I don't want to offend anyone, but as soon as we got to gotta dance <laughs> is when I started getting really tired of the whole thing and the narrative and how they just invented this new movie to go along with the other movie. And they, they ended it really well. Um, and they made it, they wrapped it up perfectly, but I think it just, it got really tiring around that part and it always did. And I remember it for that reason. Um, but I, I mean, there's so many amazing scenes and moments to it. It's a great movie and I understand why people loved it then and love it now. Um, it's 100% pure escapism and that's there's something to be said for that um whereas it also launched so many other movies like the artist or you know films that i've mentioned here before yeah that said it gets really kind of you know tough for me those last 40 minutes right so the whole broadway melody sequence yeah it is it just it's it has nothing to do with the early concept of the mm-hmm. dueling, you know. Right. And it's just him doing his thing and I get it. Um, and it's also, you know, interesting and beautiful for what it is, but in the, the context of the film, I'm just at that point really tired of it. And I've always been from since the first time I saw it and I didn't have I didn't realize when it went bad for me before until I watched it again. I was just like, yep, mm-hmm. this is where I'm like, someone needed to reel him in mm-hmm. and they didn't because he was the star and the director and the choreographer. And uh, so I understand people love it. Nobody needed to reel him in because this movie is very successful, obviously. But in my mind, it needed to be 15 minutes shorter. Okay. And Alicia. I think if you're not a musical person, I definitely can understand how it drags. And I definitely have some nitpicks with it too that somewhat align with what Laura was talking about. But um, I do like it. I just think it's fun. Like it's probably the most fun musical that is out there because there's definitely like West Side Story and Carousel and Showboat and like these other ones that deal with like some like serious themes. And this one doesn't, I mean, it has themes and stuff, but it's like, it's pretty frothy and it's just like fun. So that's always enjoyable, but I do agree. Like, yeah, I do get a little bored during some of the like um, longer musical sequences, including Gotta Dance, (laughs) especially because the songs don't have that much to do with the actual plot or moving the plot forward. Mm -hmm. The, The construction, the way the movie was created, I think hinders it in that regard, but but I do think it's just fun. Like it's just fun overall, you know, like you don't really need to watch it all unless you're really like invested in finding out what happens. You know, you can just turn it on and like enjoy it for as long as you need to. Right. So I like that about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love this movie. I I have, I guess, since I first saw it, um, I'm, like Laura, I smile through it, but I smile to the end. I don't really lose it uh, uh, with 40 minutes to go. Um, I, I like this sequence, the Broadway melody sequence. I do think it's interesting, though, that 
we're watching this uh, pretty soon after we talked about Eight and a Half, another movie about making movies. And mm -hmm. I think I said in that one that that I I remembered like Siskel and Ebert maybe talking about how the movies that are being made and movies about making movies usually seem like they would suck if you actually ever saw them. <laughs> and I think there's a case to be made that that would be what would happen here, even though in the store, in the world of the movie, it's obviously a hit or going to be a hit. Like it's a successful premiere and all that. But yeah, I agree with you, Laura, that like that, the Broadway melody sequence, I can't fathom how it connects to the dueling cavalier <laughs> thing that they're trying to save i can't but i also like just don't give a shit because i'm just like it, within watching the movie all of it makes a certain amount of sense or they i think they do just enough uh setting of the table each time they have they're queuing up a musical number to to invest me into it and then i can travel along with it then come back out and re-engage with the overarching story and i think that they're so visually fantastic all, all of the sequences, pretty much, the musical sequences that it, they, they, kind of transcend, just like normal storytelling. It's like more almost like pure cinema, uh, and especially I think the Broadway melody sequence, which like is kind of mind blowing to watch and kind of think of the logistics about how they pull off that whole thing. Which is, uh, yeah, I don't know how long that sequence is, but it's just. I don't understand what it's doing in this uh, broader story, but like, I love watching it anyway. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I, I love this movie. Always have, always will. Alicia, you got something to say? I just wanted to say in regards to the Broadway melody thing, I also like think it doesn't really connect, but I do think that a case could be made that the movie itself is about like musical entertainment. And mm -hmm. so that sequence does sort of take you through mu musical right. theater up to that point yeah and i th i think while i think it was while steven was talking earlier i had never thought about the meta element of this movie of you know like it's a movie about them trying to fix the movie by coming up with new parts to fill in the blanks and that was how this movie was written too i just kind mm -hmm. of never really mm -hmm. thought about that super directly so I don't know if that was purposeful on their part of being like, hey, we have to do this thing, so let's write it into the movie in a different way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, but I, I don't know. I think, I think they solve for the disjointedness that should be there in the movie, but, and then just gloss over it with like the, the just thrilling dance sequences and crazy filmmaking, you know, that is just I, like, a, I, I've never seen a musical as good as this, I think. So anyway. Yeah. Who doesn't want to see Sid Cherise dance? You know, yeah. that, that was just phenomenal. That was my favorite part of that whole interlude part. Just mm -hmm. seeing her was just incredible. With the yeah, scarf? The dance with the, with the veil. Yeah. 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 And even Gorgeous. her in the green outfit when she was dancing around, there was mm -hmm. just, it was just really just mind blowing. Right. Yeah. She was a hottie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently they had to cut something out to, to, make the censors of the day happy and uh, which when i was reading this on wikipedia i recognized what they were talking about because like i rem i noticed it this time i'm not sure if i'd noticed it previous watches and had just forgotten about it but there's a weird thing when she's like in the green dress and they're they're dancing really close in the nightclub i believe it is mm -hmm. and all of a sudden there's like this weird jump cut 
mm-hmm. where where they're suddenly in a slightly different position. And I, I, I guess the theory is that that's where the cut was because there's no notes about what the cut was or why they had to make a cut. It was something about mm-hmm. the move was slightly too suggestive or provocative in some way. But um, yeah. That was supposed to be Debbie Reynolds. Um, I don't know if the story and narrative would have been similar, but her dancing mm. was supposedly not up to snuff. Mm. Yeah, she um, was a gymnast, not a dancer, right. I think. I yeah. yeah, so they created that whole other scene and scenario. Right. And I, I think to Alicia's point, I, th- I, th- I think you said this, um, that, you know, sometimes you'll find yourself like... Um, you know, kind of disengaging with parts of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've watched it enough times where that has happened for me in different places on different watches. And like, I, the, so like I'll go in thinking like the veil sequence, Oh God, here this comes. And then I'll watch it. And I'm just like entranced this time through for some reason. Whereas last time it <laughs> bored the shit out of me maybe, or, or not bored me, but at just some point I realize I'm not paying attention anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's happened for me in other sections of the movie i mean there's certain ones that every time they just connect for me in a big way but yeah like what parts uh well i'll get to that i'll get to that okay (laughs) well um do you think it do you think that that do you think that the movie suffers from the fact that the plot was written around the the songs as opposed to the type of musical where the songs are written written based on the plot in service of the plot yeah it sounds like that's the case for you for me like yeah. I, I think that they do a pretty good job of stitching it together and motivating each number enough for me to kind of not care if it's disjointed mm-hmm. um i think the that's what i'm trying to say is i think the the quality of the filmmaking like the high high quality of the filmmaking um gets me past any sort of story hangups that I have throughout the film. Cause I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Like I'm enjoying watching what they're doing in this moment right now, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't sound like that's the same for everybody here. And that's fine too. Yeah. I think it just takes me out of it a little bit sometimes, right. but um, I get that, but you know, it's still fun. Like, I mean, I could watch um, make them laugh over and over just on repeat that would be fun that would be like a two-hour movie right (laughs) we'll get to like our favorite scenes and stuff like that towards the end as we normally do but what is everyone's usual take on musicals or or enjoyment of musicals like i tend to like them i to me they're just another type of movie and if it's a good one i like it if it's a bad one i don't but i know some people just can't stand musicals um uh, so where where's everybody on that spectrum they're not my like um go-to i i did have a period when i was like 12 13 years old where i was like obsessed with them but then i think like as i got older the the just ridiculousness of like bursting into song and everybody doing choreographed dance moves and stuff hit me at some point and i was like oh you know i don't know i don't know if i'm enjoying this anymore but um but no i'm at I'm kind of at the point now where it's, it's not my like go-to, but I can watch and enjoy some, you know, some of them. And obviously this one I can enjoy and mm-hmm. yeah. So that's where I am. Steven. I can't say that um, I'm a huge musicals fan. 
Um, I do like musicals and I feel like I do like them more when um, there's definitely a narrative that's that's there. Like I really like Dreamgirls seeing that. And I also like Chicago. Um, and maybe it was just maybe it was the direction or maybe it was the story that that kind of compelled me. But if it's in service of the story, like the, the the numbers, I tend to enjoy it a lot more. And with this one, I felt like I've seen enough of those uh, singing in the rain. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've seen enough of those kind of Hollywood movies, movies within a movie that I accepted a lot more of it than I would have if it was like a narrative that was kind of more straightforward since they were kind of in the mix trying to figure out how to make this movie. Mm -hmm. I was okay with it not making a whole lot of sense or like you said, Jeremiah stitching things together. Um, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm okay with that. So I feel like overall, like I can enjoy it as long as the, um, the music and the performances are in support of the story. Right. Laura. I've as a genre, I've never kind of isolated the idea. I like, a lot of them, there's some that I don't like. Um, I can, I enjoy fun movies and even though <laughs> I may sound critical sometimes, I don't know, of stuff. Um, I even enjoyed this one um, and I still do. Uh, so I, I would never say I just hate musicals. <laughs> I just think it's a little bit reductive to put mm -hmm. it like that. I do think I, you know, it's an interesting question, especially now with a film like Annette coming out, um, you know, where I tried to watch it and just didn't jive with it. And I know that a lot of people loved it. So it's like a new take of that um, Adam Driver mm -hmm. uh, film. I don't know the director offhand. Leos Carex, um, or I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But, but yeah, I found that really tough. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, I would never, I would never put that like an official, like, no, can't do musicals. I'm too cool ever for anything. Gotcha. Well, what does everyone think of the particular topic of this movie? of it being about the transition from silent pictures to sound or talkies. Um, like, what do you think of the portrayal of that time? I know, I mean, I know it's a heightened one, obviously, because it's this MGM musical and, and maybe it's like rose tinted as well. But what, what is everyone's take on that depiction? I do think it's rose tinted, but it's also not as didactic as something like the artist. They mm -hmm. deal with, it's very similar themes, but, um, it's done, you know, a little bit uh, more subtly, subtly mm -hmm. uh, than a film like that. I find it a really interesting time period. And like, I really um, enjoy learning about that time in, in Hollywood. And um, I find it interesting that um, besides like the, besides movies switching from um, silent to sound, you also sort of have the Great Depression coming like right on the heels of it. So it's just like a, a lot of things changed in Hollywood in that in that sort of late 20s, early 30s era. Um, this, I definitely think this is like a, a rose tinted view of that time period, but it's a, it's a, it's a 1950s take on, right. on that time period. And it's a comedy comedic take on it. So, so yeah. Yeah. 
like what you said is is true. It's just it just made me think of that part where Kathy was in the car with him and saying that he wasn't like a real actor because he was acting in like Hollywood movies, which were silent and mm-hmm. being on the stage is where it is because you can hear people and there's more emotion that's there. But it was done in such kind of a funny way. But there was a really like biting kind of criticism that went along with that. So it was shadow. Just kind of, yeah, you're a shadow, which is kind of a horrible thing to say. But he yeah. kind of like called her like Ethel Barrymore and like joked it off and stuff like that. But still, it's it was pretty biting, I thought. So I think that is true about about the time period and that like just having it. So it's like rose tinted through a lens where it's just like, oh, this is the 50s now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you see it and it's just not as serious as it really was at that point. Yeah, and that that biting remark sticks with him too. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just that he has like a crush on this girl he had a meet cute with. It's uh, <laughs> he's actually haunted by what she said to him because she's he's like, oh fuck, is that what people think about me? And, yeah, well, he thought he was a fraud too, or yeah. I think initially because of this whole backstory that he completely made up for the uh, right, right for the press. So Dignity. I think he had something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that she nags him. <laughs> and it worked. Good point. It worked. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think I, I think for me this is another one where because I saw it at a certain age, it like played right into me becoming like really getting really interested in movies as a medium and just like the history of them and all. And I thought this was like so intriguing a story to watch. I was like, oh, my God, is that really like how this happened? Were there, you know, like, is this what they had to do? Like this, the scenes of them with the microphone, like I, they're, they're not mm. as as interesting to me anymore. But I remember being so uh, interested the first time I watched it or the second time I watched this movie of like, oh, this is this is like how they had to figure out how to do this, how to record people. And, you know, like I found out more about that later on like the reality of it and how crazy it was. And, you know, like the, the, the lights had to get hotter to keep up with the film being faster, et cetera, et cetera. And it just made like it these was, sound stages yeah. terrible places to be even more so than maybe they had been. But I think that they get the essence of the annoyance of it for people who are already doing <laughs> it, you know, I find it entertaining. Alicia. It also shows you like how, proficient the actors had to become because mm-hmm. before they were just doing kind of whatever I mean worked you know through pantomime or they didn't have to be saying any specific lines they didn't have to yeah they'd have to memorize lines they didn't have to really do too much mm-hmm. technical stuff besides the movement but once sound comes in you're doing lines you're doing where's my microphone you're doing <laughs> Like the move, you're doing the movement, you're doing all the things. So I, I find that really interesting because I mean, you just don't really think about it until you see it, see it, you know, happening. Right, Stephen. Yeah, it, it kind of played into how we first see Lena because she's a silent actress and she doesn't talk at all, but yet she, you can just see on her face what kind of person you think she is until she opens her mouth. And it completely changes how she, how you perceive her just because you can actually hear her. Mm-hmm. And I, I also was thinking about the part where 
you know, they're having that argument, even though they were pretending like they were in love during when they were shooting the movie and he's saying like all these mean things to her, even though he's kissing her hand. <laughs> and it's just like, it probably made the audience think like, oh yeah, they could have been talking about anything in those silent movies when I used to see them. Right. You just have no idea. So I think my favorite line was you boa constrictor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have good Want to break all your bones. <laughs> <laughs> I got like... pretty violent. <laughs> and yet we all laughed at it. You know, it's it just great. Right. movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, on that point with with Lena, I, th- I think it would be so easy to screw up her being the villain, and mm-hmm. like you, there's no reason to have any sympathy for her. I mean, there's a little bit, but like I think they do a good job of setting it up in the story that she's an asshole, and she she like doesn't deserve to get ahead in this new medium, she or something. You know, like it would be so easy if this wasn't done right to see Dawn and. Uh, Cosmo, especially as like just super assholes that you cannot get on the side of for the way they treat her. And I think they balance it very well. Laura? I think that you're extremely right. I think they roll it out slowly, mm-hmm. the level of asshole of which she um, becomes. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of Bullets Over Broadway in oh, the yeah. sense she's like, charm, 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 charm. It's like, here's this annoying woman who just gets. <laughs> insufferable as it goes and um not that i would know anything about that uh no i just i (laughs) i think they she's brilliant in this film like she's so great i love her and i love how it's just you can't apologize for it there's no excusing the behavior at the end and that's when she gets right at that moment, she gets her comeuppance and it's, it's really, that's so smart how they pu- pulled that off. Mm-hmm. Alicia. One of the bigger themes of the movie is that whole fantasy versus reality thing. And Lena is all about the fantasy <laughs> of silent film. You know, she's beautiful. She's glamorous. Like you think like she's the star, but then the reality is that, she actually doesn't have any talent. (laughs) She, I mean, she can do, you know, what she does, but she doesn't have any actual like dramatic acting skills. She's not a singer. She's not a dancer. Um, Kathy comes out and she's the future, basically. She's the like real talent. So, um, so yeah, I think they kind of have to lean into Lena being (laughs) the villain of the piece because they're celebrating, you know, expression yeah and i think that maybe brings us to steven's question he had for all of us so steven do you want to hit us with that sure yeah um because as i was watching this movie i just noticed that a lot of the people in the movie kind of either weren't happy with themselves or felt like they needed to change the perception of who they were in order to kind of get ahead like you know we were talking about how kathy pretended like she didn't really know who don was but she did know when you find out a little bit more about her or even like lena's voice like you didn't know who she was until you saw it um so i and but even though things worked out in the end and the movie was a success at the end like do you feel like success really trumps honesty in this film you know it's the the end game was really the more important thing than the actually being honest about the problems you know because i feel like with with lena like if they had been honest with her at the beginning saying like your voice is like Mm -hmm. not up to snuff there might have been something else they could have done with her to make her a success but they never even addressed that with her at all so there were certain things in the movie that i felt like if people were more honest about it that it would have gone better 
but the movie was a success in the end. So mm -hmm. that was really like the ends justified the means. So I was just curious. Do you feel like success kind of trumps the honesty part? Right. Well, I, I think they do try to address it with her. They do get her a diction coach. Um, mm -hmm. and who, Round. Who, yeah, who fails miserably <laughs> at her task. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems like they kind of take the approach of we can only do so much for this lady. <laughs> She's a lost cause. I don't know. Which which maybe is completely unfair. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Does anybody have an answer for Stephen? I think the context of this film, it's success trumps honesty. Um, but in again, in the context of the film, the good guys win, quote unquote, good guys. Because <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Gene Kelly's kind of, you know, he, there's a lot of moments where I feel like he's just insufferable and annoying, you know, his little um, act in the car and you know, the fact that we're, I know we're all supposed to just love <laughs> and I'm probably um, if this is blasphemous, but he there are moments where he's just really annoying and he doesn't get out of his own way. And I know that the concept of the film and it it's a successful film and what it's trying to get over. But. Yeah, he's not like a I think a straight up guy <laughs> throughout at all. Alicia? Um, I, I think that they kind of go hand in hand in the end. Like the only way that the movie really ends up becoming a success is when they stop trying to be something that they're not and they're, they make it into something that they're actually good at. Don has to kind of give up his whole dignity. You know, I'm a dignified, classically trained, blah, blah, blah and has to embrace the fact that he was like a vaudeville dancer, you know, musical person, and that's what he's good at. And in the end, Lena has to, um, <laughs> I guess, unwillingly be forced to drop her act. But yeah, they have to, they're forced to like, find a way to be honest in this new medium. And because otherwise the performances are like, obviously her, Lena's performance is completely inauthentic. Like that's not that's not an honest performance. So I think that yeah, I think that they only get can achieve success through through being honest in the end, which yeah, it's like I do think in general in life success probably almost always trumps honesty. <laughs> but but sometimes you can get success through honesty. So I think that's kind of what's going on here and that's definitely like the big question of the the whole movie is like trying to find a way to <laughs> to be successful right you know so mm -hmm. yeah I, I feel like um don was just a deeply insecure person and like you said you know go with the skills that you know how to do and he you know fully embraced his vaudeville you know background and then he was a success or you know it, but with everything else that was going on in the movie you just you just start to wonder like how many other people are very insecure about themselves and that's why they kind of put that forward instead of just kind of going with it but of course that insecurity started with the talkies happening mm -hmm. when everybody could hear you then all of a sudden everything changed right well that whole silent film world i mean a lot of those actors and actresses were um famous because of their like persona it had mm -hmm. nothing to do with like who they actually were or where they were actually from or 
anything. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think it's kind of cool to, that they that they sort of reflected that in his story. And yeah, I think anybody that goes to Hollywood and wants to become like an actor, you know, um, has something, some sort of like insecurity and it has some sort of need for like external validation. I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's great. I love all actors <laughs> and I do acting myself. So like, I was going to say, it's there for look me at your, too. Look in the mirror, Alicia. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> right, you're right. Look in the mirror. So, so you know, but um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing with him to yeah. see to see that. Yeah, I agree with what you said before, Alicia. That I, I think this movie ties success to honesty. So I think, as far as your question goes, Stephen, does success trump honesty? I think they they're successful through being honest. So I don't think it's, it's a matter of it being trumped. I think it's like, they have to be together. They have to be one leads to the other. So it's not like one versus the other, I guess is how the movie portrays it or in in the end, um, I guess the conflict of the movie or the suspense of the movie is, will that be how it ends up? Um, but yeah, I think ultimately it answers that you have to be honest to be successful. In, in the world of this film, which is probably <laughs> horseshit in, you know, as far as reality goes, you know. But, um, <laughs> but that's, that's a whole other conversation about Hollywood and PR yeah, and that's a, movies. Yeah, PR Cut a dance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what was your favorite scene, moment, or element of the movie? Um, Laura, do you want to start us off? I mean, Donald O'Connor was just—he's so good. Mm-hmm. He's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone's great, and I know um, Gene Kelly is amazing, but make him laugh is—I watch, I watch, I rewound that part mm-hmm. a few times. Yeah. Because it was something special, and I would, I would watch it now just to rewatch it. Really fun, yeah. So, yeah, that's my favorite. Fair enough, Alicia. How about you? Um, I also love Make Him Laugh. I mean, I love Singing in the Rain too, and I love the the dance sequence with Sid Charisse with the huge flowing veil. Like, I just think that's just visually stunning. Um, yeah, so I think that I would have to like sort of do some sort of combination of all those three. I can't, it's hard for me to like choose out of those three but yeah I also agree like Donald O'Connor should have been the leading man (laughs) like I just find him more you know um appealing than Gene Kelly but um obviously Gene Kelly is extremely talented too so yeah I just enjoy watching the musical and dance sequences Yes, I will. I will uh, second that Gene Kelly is kind of talented, or whatever. You, however, you <laughs> I mean, just watching him move is like—I mean, all of them. I like, I don't understand how people can physically do the things they do in this movie. I mean, I think, like you guys are pointing out, with the make him dance sequence, like it's to a whole other level when he's like jumping off of walls and running in circles on the ground and shit. It's it's crazy, but. Yeah, like the I think after Stephen and talented. you guys all answer, I have another point about my favorite scene. Okay, uh, well, I'll go ahead and say my favorite scene is probably 
Um, I agree with you both about make him laugh. Like I could watch that any day over and over again, but I think every time the actual singing in the rain sequence is coming up with Gene Kelly out in the rain after saying good night to Debbie Reynolds. Like I, I am always like on the edge of my seat waiting for it. And I love it every time. It's like one of the most sublime things ever put on film. And I love it. And I don't know how much of it is like, I think around the same time that I saw this movie, I was also playing drums by then. And I think I'd been, like turned on to this like compilation of world music. And there was this thing about water drumming that I was like, I can't believe there, there's people who drum on the water and like you listen to it and it sounds like insane. And I think that his tapping in the water is very close to that. And uh, I, I like it as a percussive thing too, as a, as a musician and a drummer. So I think that's part of why I gravitate towards that. Um, Steven, how about you? Well, I'm going to split mine into two. I guess we should have done that to begin with, like what's our favorite number and then what's our favorite moment. Um, but my favorite uh, moment in the movie actually was when they were watching the um, the movie back the first time when the audio was really terrible because mm -hmm. I worked in TV for years. And so it's just like, yeah, of course, you're going to have these problems. So when you watch it, you're just like, oh, it's amazing. And the audience's reactions to it were just hilarious to me. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, Lena's like, I liked it, <laughs> which was just like, it was just great. But my favorite number actually was Moses Supposes, even though that was the one that I hadn't seen before. So maybe that's the kind of colored my judgment mm -hmm. this time around. And that was just so incredible. Like, like you, Jeremiah, just watching both of them dance and do that and sing and like all the physical movements were just like, they're on a whole other level when you watch that. It's just, it was so incredible to watch and right. fun. And I like the tongue twisters and, and the dialogue was just great. Right. Laura, you had something else? Well, I, I just, I did want to mention Moses Supposes because um, it was so amazing to watch them play off each other. Mm -hmm. and their Donald O'Connor is just amazing, but he is the perfect guy next to Gene Kelly mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in those scenes and the dancing. They're both amazing. They're both on point, but Gene Kelly's got the swag the entire time, whereas <laughs> Donald O'Connor is like the perfect accompaniment, mm -hmm. and it's just, it's incredible. Those It was just incredible to watch them on that desk. Right. You know, yeah, it, was some, it. it was really special. Alicia? Yeah, I've, I've, nobody mentioned the good morning sequence. So I had to like bring that up too because oh, Debbie yeah. Reynolds like ended up with bloody feet or something while right. she was trying to learn it. And it's also like an incredible dance musical sequence. So I wanted to just like mention that mm -hmm. one too. Yeah, it's always amazing to watch these and then think like how many times did they have to do all of these? Yeah to get these takes. It's just, it's just mind boggling for me just to think about all the practice and all the work that they did to do these, to make it look like it was effortless. And they just decided to break out into song or break out in tap dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was the thing about the, the veil? It was a sequence which took a month to rehearse two weeks to shoot and cost about a fifth of the overall budget. Wow. Which is crazy. It's crazy. Okay, so how about we take one more break and then we'll come back, share our final thoughts on the film and get into our bonus questions and all that stuff. And we're back. Has the movie 
as far as you're concerned, stood the test of time? Or do you think it resonates today is the other way to phrase that? Stephen, how about you? <laughs> um, I do think it stands the test of time in that, you know, when you think about filmmaking and how that it, it was accomplished, it's definitely stood up. And it is one of those classics that still people can watch of all ages and get something out of it, I think. Um, and then even the story itself about Hollywood and how, you know, times change and some people get left behind and some people become stars that you wouldn't think would become stars. Mm -hmm. um, and then just like how, who you think you are as a person and, you know, do you have to tell the truth in order to get ahead or does success just kind of come? And we've kind of answered that question a little bit during the podcast. But yeah, I believe it has stood the test of time. Okay. Laura? Absolutely. <laughs> I do think it stood the test of time. And does it resonate? I, I, I mean, what to Stephen's point, it's just, you know, there's always an evolution and, you know, the evolving genre of filmmaking and things move forward and you're either you go with it or you get left behind. And I don't think that's ever going to stop. So I think this is a really good illustration of that. I mean, there's moments for me that feel a little dusty, which I think I've talked about, but I think it would have felt that way at the time. I mean, I just think there's just Gene Kelly's, you know, he's amazing, but he's also, there's parts where I'd like, I would have liked him to get out of his own way a little bit, but I don't know if that has anything to do with the quality of the film or how it, it stands the test of time. Cause it just does. Right. I'm just being that bitch. <laughs> the <science laughs> gets a little tired of it after a while. Well, I'll piggyback off of what you're saying. Cause I, I think I understand what you're saying about Gene Kelly. Like I, I think I've grown to love his performance over the many viewings I've had of it. I think probably the first times I watched it as much as I enjoyed the movie, I did think he was a fucking cheese ball. You know, and it took a while for me to just be like, whatever, they, look at what he's doing. It's it's literally a special effect of like a human special effect. Like, how is somebody doing these things? And I think for that reason, to me, it clearly stands the test of time because it's it's just like this document of talent from all these people. I can't imagine it ever not being engaging to somebody in some way. Like, I think it, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who could watch a part of this movie and not at least have to give it up for them for being talented and both in terms of like the dance and choreography, but also the filmmaking and uh, the, the singing and the performances of, of that sort. Like, sure. You could get down on the acting. It's from, it's, it's early fifties acting in a musical that's hearkening back to, you know, like the silent era switching over to sound. So it's like all over the place in terms of the, like, what they're doing in terms of the actual acting, but everything else around it is just so fucking good. Um, so yeah, it resonates. <laughs> Alicia, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think any time that you're seeing people like at the height of their powers performing uh, and seeming, I'm sure they weren't having fun the whole time they were doing it, but projecting projecting the idea that they were having fun right. um, and the songs are so fun that it just there's just something about it that captures that that optimism and joy mm -hmm. and so yeah I think it's it definitely stands the test of time in that regard 
So yeah, and I don't know if this is a good bellwether of whether something does stand the test of time, but this is one of those movies that is referenced so often. I mean, even just thinking back to like A Clockwork Orange in a weird way, uh, but then in like uh, there's probably like a million sitcoms that have like had someone like in the rain dancing, and it's like immediately you're going to be thinking of this movie, whether it was intended or not, you know? Mm. So I don't know. Do you guys want to get upset about something? Always. Always. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Who, who are you talking to? Of course we do. Do you want to know my least favorite part in the movie? Sure. Sure. Uh, it's him dancing in the rain. Oh, fuck. <laughs> well, I mean. You're excommunicated. <laughs> my, my, my stance is usually that everybody's allowed to like or not like whatever they want. But this one, I'm going to say fuck off. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No and I deserve it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Why, why don't you like it though? I'm curious. I just, I was like, yep, I don't, nope. Okay. <laughs> it just seems really disingenuous. Mm. <laughs> and um, it's part of that time where I'm just like, he needed to get away from out of his own way a little bit. Okay. Mm. And. I am so ready and I really appreciate you guys disagreeing with me and telling me to fuck off for this exact reason. Well, I was joking. But about I thought I would bring it up just because this is a podcast and um, <laughs> conflict <laughs> helps. <laughs> sure. Maybe. So, yeah, that <laughs> was, I was just, I was watching this and I was like, whoa, that's, it's not doing it for me. Okay. <laughs> Can we, um, yeah. So, yeah, I'll say it wasn't my favorite number, actually, of the of the the whole movie. I did like it, but yeah, I, I can see what you meant. And after a while, my my eyes were kind of wandering after a while. So I'll admit wow, that it wasn't my favorite. It feels so good right now. Yeah. Just the I, fact that uh -huh. Stephen sort of is OK with it, it <laughs> means like I feel validated on so many levels. I'm not even kidding. I feel like Stephen, I'll buy you dinner next week. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't bribe him like before yet. We didn't. We didn't have a pre. We didn't we have did a pre-discussion. But I would have if I, I know. Shenanigans, mm. Alicia. And I just say what I thought was the weirdest, weirdest number in the musical was yeah. the thing where they're going through all the women in the different outfits. Oh my gosh! Like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's always the weird one. Yeah. Beautiful oh, girls or pretty yeah. girls. Yeah. And the one with the she trim your. Your oh, friend monkey fur. Your monkey fur. I remember <laughs> so that. Weird. I was like, whoa, that's. But I think that's what those some of those first musicals were just like weird shit was... like that. So yeah, yeah. I got. I kind of thought that, and I just love it because I love the fashion of the time and mm. ridiculousness that way. So I just rolled with it. <laughs> right. I mean, I I'm agree with that. I'm I totally assuming... understand your point, Alicia. I, I'm assuming that people watching. Singing in the Rain in 1952 probably knew that song. You know? Yeah, they probably knew most of the Yeah, knew song. most the of these songs, of course. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think that that makes it make a little more sense of why that's in there because that's the probably the song that's least connected to anything else in the movie, right? Yeah, like story wise or whatever. <laughs> but um, all right, well, uh, why don't we move on to our bonus question is uh, related to this movie. It's uh, kind of, you can answer either or. Um, what's your favorite movie musical? Also, what was the first one you can remember seeing? 
And Stephen, do you want to start us off? Um, sure. The movie that I remembered seeing um, was probably a lot of people's The Sound of Music because it was on TV every year. Um, and for that reason alone, it's just like one of my favorites, just because I just remember the songs. And, you know, in my in my elementary school, we do songs from that. We'd always sing that in music class. So that's one of my favorites. But then one that I really I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's it's up there is Grease, just because that was also I saw it when I was a kid and it's just always struck me. And whenever it's on TV, I'll watch it, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what, like I'll just turn it on. I'm like, oh, it's Grease and I'll just watch the rest <laughs> of it. <laughs> so that's definitely one of my favorites. Okay. And uh, I'll say that, yeah, Sound of Music, I guess, is probably the first I can remember watching for the same reason it was always on TV. And we'd watch it, I think, every Easter, I want to say it was on, yeah, on one I of the networks. So. Um, I know, though, that the first movie I ever saw in a theater was Annie. Mm. Um, I don't remember seeing it, but it's the story my parents have told me my entire life. Uh, <laughs> That, I, that we got there late, had to sit on the front row, and I was just like looking straight up at the screen and just like mesmerized. Um, but Aww. I think my, my favorite is probably either this or Wizard of Oz. And Laura, how about you? I remember Annie being the first, one of the first that I've seen, um, which was great. And um, it was one of those films you just watch over and over and you try to like, you get, you know, sweep the floor while you're doing the dance and have that hard not life situation or like reenact with your sisters. Oh wait, not nobody. We, we didn't all do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but my favorite as a kid was Xanadu hundred mm. percent. And it is a really long, <laughs> odd musical. <laughs> and it was, but I remember just, it was mesmerizing for me. And it still is some of the, I mean, I'll remember the Gene Kelly, Olivia Newton-John dance sequence forever. I can sing it right now if you guys want, but I, you know. Sure. Really? Okay. Just, you know, Hey, hit me up guys. <laughs> Alicia heard Xana and she was already shaking her head. Before that too. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Um, but Alicia, what, what is what is your answer or answers for this? Uh, well, I also think I think Sound of Music. When you mentioned it, Stephen, I think Sound of Music probably all, is the first mu movie musical that I saw because I couldn't remember. I was really racking my brains, and I was thinking it must have been West Side Story because I was like super obsessed with West Side Story. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably is my favorite musical of all time. Like I used to, I used to make my friends. I was an only child, so I didn't have sisters, but I had female friends that lived on the same street <laughs> with me. And I was the oldest and I would boss everyone around. Aww. And what we had to do was reenact West Side Story pretty much every day after school for oh like gosh. months on end. Wow. Um, yeah, so, so, but then I also went through like a big Grease um, uh, phase too, where I used to watch Goonies and Grease. I had them on the same video tape and I used to watch them like every day after school, so. <laughs> So yeah. it's our time. It's our yeah. time right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are good movies to rewatch. Yeah. Every day. A Side Story is one of the few record soundtracks that we had when I was growing up. So we listened to that soundtrack a lot. We tried, actually bought it, I think. Sorry. We tried to rewatch West Side Story 
like within the last couple of years and had to turn it off because we were just both like, I can't fucking watch this. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't. Sorry, it just it did not hold up for me. I was just like, could not get. I it agree with it. you, Jeremiah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let me let me go. Let me tell you what I really think about Xanadu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are you excited for the Aiden remake words. by Spielberg, though, Alicia? <laughs> I, I am interested. Yeah, I'm interested to see it because um, I also had the soundtrack mm-hmm. to West Side Story growing up, but I didn't have the movie soundtrack. I had the Broadway soundtrack, mm. so I was already I'm already kind of used to like knowing it different. in a couple of different forms. Right. So yeah, I'm interested mm. to see what yeah. Spielberg does with it. And it's it's interesting to me that they had that Tony Kushner wrote this version. I'm oh. so like, what what is the adaptation? there mm. you know like what are they doing mm. different in this what like that you, you got to imagine they updated something for for this day and age having like, all latinx people like yeah well parts, that's yeah. a good start i guess <laughs> for sure hopefully uh, the hopefully maria's voice isn't dubbed by someone that <laughs> <laughs> marie rita moreno will come out against it <laughs> just kidding <laughs> She's just had some problematic quotes lately, but yeah, I still yeah. love her no matter what. Well, oh, she was this. in this movie. Yeah. She was in this, which yeah, is yeah. She played Zelda, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Zelda? Zelda or Zelda? I don't know. Zelda, Zelda with the Z, I think. Well, in the actually, beginning. Can I throw in an extra question? Yes. Mm-hmm. What's everyone's favorite recent musical, movie musical? Like something that's come out in the last like 10 to 20 years or so? Probably Dreamgirls. Dreamgirls was, yeah, I, I really liked that. And I saw this in the theaters. I think I might've told you a couple couple of you guys. I saw it in Brooklyn. Mm. So people acted like it was like a real like Broadway performance because people mm. applauded after the numbers and they were really into it in a different way than I would have expected just seeing it mm. like as a normal movie. And I, I really liked it. Jeremiah, you? I really liked In the Heights, which mm. is, I'm not sure how much is recency bias for me on answering that, but uh, I really liked that movie a lot. Um, Beauty and the Beast, the live action version of that, I thought was really well done. And I like watching that a lot. Great. I forget about the Disney musicals. I might have seen like a Disney musical very early I should probably forget about them, but (laughs) instead. And then, you know, I was really struck by this. This isn't a film. It's a theater thing. And Mm -hmm. um, the March of the Falsettos is a film from the 80s. It's sort of like Boys in the Band that Mm. I remember being extremely struck by. It's very dated and I don't think people are doing it much, but as a musical, it just, I thought it was genius. Okay, well, our next episode will be picking our next round of movies. So that's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash Stereoactive Movie Club. Please rate and review. Bye. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.